does it mean to die well? I don't know about you, but you know, I've always kind of envisioned that I would be very old, very old, 90, 100 maybe. <laughs> I would be looking good, feeling good, head full of white hair, but not many wrinkles. <laughs> and then one night, I go to sleep, and I just wouldn't wake up in the morning. Is that how you picture it? Well, that's what I thought. Up until about a year and a half ago, that's when my dad died. Nobody thought my dad was 85 years old. Shoot, he, he looked good. You know, he would step out in his hat. And he was that kind of person, you know? He was healthy, he was feeling good, he was doing good things. Sometimes people would even ask to see his ID, because they didn't believe that he was 85. My dad was the kind of guy who was always there for me. He was there with a phone call, with a visit. A couple of years ago, I had a little bit of pneumonia. I had to take some time off work. I was out for a week, and then another week went by, and my dad started getting a little suspicious. I was talking to him on the phone. I said, it's okay, Dad. I, I'm getting better. You know, I just need to take, take this time. They said I should just stay in. A couple hours later, there's my dad at the front door. He had driven over from Portland. That was the kind of guy he was. You know, he would just show up, be there for you. He had moved to Portland about five years before. He had been living down in the Bay Area, but he came up here. It was great because while well, I was here and my family, grandkids, and my brother's in Vancouver with all of his kids, so that was great. And he loved Portland. He, he just thought it was the greatest. He'd been living in, in the Pearl District, in fact. <laughs> Found a little apartment there. It was pretty cool, you know. Actually, did you know that they have some, some, some uh, apartments in the Pearl District set aside for people on a fixed, fixed income? Mm -hmm. yeah. wow. I bet you didn't know that. <laughs> My dad found out about it. He was that kind of guy. He found out about those kind of things. Yep. So he got his cool little apartment. I talked to him on the phone one night, and he said, well, any, you know, I'm feeling a little pain, and I don't know, I was out marching. I was out marching today with the Occupy movement. <laughs> and I kind of stumbled on a curb, and a, Maybe, maybe I pulled a muscle or something. I got this little pain. I just said, oh, okay, you know, it's going to be okay. Probably just, it, it'll be better. But next day, it was there again, and it hurt, and it kept hurting. And next week, it was still hurting. So he went to the doctor. He always, you know, he always checked in at the doctor. He took good care of himself. And the doctor said, not quite sure what it is, so they went to, they sent him for x-rays and MRIs and all of that. And still not sure what that was, but the pain was bothering him a lot, so 
he started to have to take quite a bit of pain medications, narcotics to kind of keep that at bay. It was pretty, it was pretty difficult to see as he was having a harder time, you know, and there in his apartment, I was starting to get a little worried about him, so I got him one of those little emergency call buttons, you know, there's these things that you can, he kept it in his pocket, and, and if you press that button, someone will come on the line that actually is like talking right out of your pocket, you know, there's a, hello, is there something I can help you with, and if the thing actually really did work, that was great, because one day, he, he was on his couch, and and he couldn't get up. He just didn't have the strength to get up. I, I don't know, the pain was bad and it just hurt. And he called and they came. The ambulance came. He was there on the couch and he told me about how it was so, so difficult because he couldn't get up to let him in and they didn't have a key to get in and he could see them all rushing around and hear them. He could see underneath the crack of the door, you know. <laughs> So, well, after that, we decided that it was time that he probably needed to move to a different place where there'd be some people around to help him. So we found a senior, a senior apartment, Russellville. It was really actually a very cool place also. And he, he found his way around, got his cane, thought he was pretty cool with that, you know. He said, okay, I can do a cane, that's all right. And he was out on field trips and stuff, you know. But still that pain was there and it was getting worse. And my dad went from that cane to a walker and then to a wheelchair. I was sitting with him in his living room one day and he looked at me and he said, Annie, what do you think about that uh, assisted suicide? Maybe that's something I need to be looking into. I said, Dad, no, no, no. The doctors, you know, they say we can get this under control. I thought he was just kind of talking crazy because of all those medications on his head, you know, because they did kind of make him crazy. So, well, finally they said maybe, maybe the surgery will help. And he had the surgery, but it didn't really help. And then they determined that what it was was there was a, a tumor on his spine. It was cancer, it was prostate cancer that had metastasized and was a tumor on his spine there, pressing on the nerves that run down your legs, and that was what was causing all that pain. Wow. Prostate cancer, but my dad was always getting his screenings. Where did that come from? Well, turns out around 80 years old or so, they stopped doing those screenings. They say, you don't need to take those anymore because Prostate cancer is slow-growing slow cancer, and you would probably die from something else. Uh, that's, I guess, true, but it's, it's not actually true with African-American men who can sometimes have a much more aggressive form of, of cancer, prostate cancer. So there it was, 
my dad was all right. You know, my dad, they said, here's some treatments. So we jumped in on those treatments, and I jumped in with him. And I was there trying to, trying to be there for him like he had always been there for me, you know. And I'm jumping in the car and driving down the gorge to be there for him and take him to his treatments. He had some radiation. He had some hormone treatments. And those hormone treatments would cause him to have hot flashes. <laughs> I said, well, Dad, welcome to the club. <laughs> we got a little laugh out of that. You know, the doctors, they thought the treatments were going well. And they said, you know, nobody ever said to me anything like, oh, your dad only has a certain amount of time or anything like that. So there we were, you know, doing what we could. But it was hard because those pains, they were bad. My husband and son and I moved my dad nine different times in one year from that assisted living to nursing homes and rehab centers. Finally, I'm, I'm uh, realizing, you know, that this is, this isn't the quality of life that my dad was, was hoping for. This, this wasn't good because if he was, his pain was controlled enough so that he could, he could, you know, deal with it, he would be kind of out of it or asleep. Death with dignity, that's what they call it. That's, that's what my dad was really hoping for. He didn't want us to see him. He didn't want us to see him, you know, not well, not sharp with his hat. And those phone calls that I would get in the middle of the night, he would be sounding sometimes just crazy with pain or accusing the, the caregivers of this, that, or the other, trying to, I don't know what was going on with him. And sometimes I just have to Sometimes I just have to shut my phone off. Because, you know, he could call the next morning and need me to be there, and, and I was gonna be there. I was gonna be there even though it was hard. I know it was hard on my family. My son was a senior in high school. I wanted to be there for him. But I had to be there for my dad, because, you know, he'd always, he'd always showed up for me. So finally, well, I'm seeing that he can't, he, he can't, just can't have that, can't have that so much. So I called, I called the, I called the people that help with assisted suicide. You know, that's legal in Oregon and 
everything. But it turns out it's not easy. I had to call the doctor. I called and I talked with him. And the doctor said, well, you know, your father is actually not mentally competent to make that decision. <coughs> he's not mentally competent to make that decision. Well, he's on so much drugs, you wouldn't be competent either if you were on that many drugs. So, finally, they showed us, uh, that they, they told us about palliative care, that maybe, maybe that would be a way that we could get the right kind of combination of pain medications and keep things so that he could, he could manage. But we never could find that right balance. And then he moved to hospice house. One day I went to visit and the caregivers said to me, they said, your dad, this morning, we, when we were helping him in the bathroom, he just didn't have any strength at all. And when we got him to the bed, he said, that's it. And they laid him in his bed, and he went to sleep. And that's where I found him. And my husband came, and Matthew, my son, and my brother, and his family, and Alcina, beautiful lady that my dad had, had found. And we were there with him, and we told him how much, how much we loved him, and and how we were so glad that we could be there for him. We told him, we told him that it wouldn't be very long and we wouldn't remember this year at all. All we would remember would be all the good times. We wouldn't remember him in this, in this spot where he was, where he was, you know, not able to step out. But it's been a year and a half. And I still really can't get all those visions out of my mind. But uh, I don't get any phone calls anymore. Those phone calls had meant a lot to me because my dad had always been there, you know? He'd call, he'd call and he'd say, how's your day? What happened with that thing going on at work? But the calls stopped. And, well, you know, I was still hoping that maybe he could be there with the answers, the answers to, to questions that I had, particularly this question I have about like, you know, what is it? What does it mean to die well, Dad? 
maybe he had been trying to answer that question all that year. All that year when he had been trying so hard and doing what he could to keep on living, to keep on doing things and, and learning things and being there for people, being a dad, being a, a grandpa and a friend. Maybe that's the answer. My dad showed up for his death, just like he had always showed up for his life. And I decided that that's what I want to do with my life. I want to show up. Thank you.